This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a while since you and I kind of, I don't know where my segue was for that. It hasn't been a while. It's been one week. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me try that over again. It, seem, it seems like a while since we were doing them like three times a week, four times a week for a while. No, that's fair. Uh, getting back into kind of our regular schedule, it does feel like uh, a week will go by and I'll be like, man, there's so much to talk about. I can't believe that we're not <laughs> talking about this every other day. Uh, yeah. So now that we're back to kind of the weekly roundups, it does feel like we're moving in, in slow motion almost. Um, <laughs> but uh, that being said, we do have some stuff to talk about. Uh, we have some COVID-19 stuff to talk about, uh, but then we have some updates on some other things as well. Uh, why don't we jump in just to kind of the COVID-19 news first, get that out of the way. Uh, we have officially Indoor County broken 100 positive cases. Uh, so as of the 5th, uh, the number was at 101 positive cases in Door County. And it is weird to say that, like we knew that the day would come probably where we would have 100 cases. Uh, but it wasn't too long ago when we were sitting at like 35 cases for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then in the last five weeks, that, that number has just gone up and up and up. So it, it's it's weird to, to be at this point where we're looking at it and being like, well, there it is, 100. Uh, but I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Miles? 100 seems like a lot considering what we've had uh, for the last five months. But at the same time, it's also a relatively low number. Uh, what are your thoughts just in how you've been tracking it? Well, and one thing for people to recognize, that's 101 total cases since the beginning. Right now, I think there are 18 active cases, which that means that 18 people who are either still instructed to be in quarantine or could potentially be hospitalized, but not necessarily hospitalized. Right. Um, that you know, in those active cases, one of the things I watch is how much does that jump in a given day? Because that's an indication, you know, if we go from 10 active cases to 18, what that tells me is that public health is swamped with eight new cases to trace contacts. And knowing in in my case, I've I've known some of the people who have tested positive personally, and I know like you know where they work or what their job entails, and so I I just think like wow with that with that person that means public health is going to have to call at least twenty some people because there's no way that person doing the job that they do could remain very isolated, and I just think of how taxing that would be on public health. But when that number stays low, that means we're still close to contained. What I what I kind of watch for is like if we ever have that day where there's 10 or more, then like the other day we had a jump of seven. That was the highest one day jump. We went from I think 91 to 98. Um, those are the numbers that concern me because I know that we don't have a ton of personnel to do the contact tracing, which means it's harder to get in touch with everybody and keep people who might have been exposed um, quarantined or checking their contacts to letting it let everybody know if that if we had a bunch of those and we didn't have the people to trace um th that's when things can get out of hand so as long as we have those low numbers um it does seem to me that we should be able to keep them controlled and the other takeaway for me is that it's i would say that there's probably nobody who thought door county's number would be this low 
in August. Um, I've sat in a lot of meetings. I've talked to a lot of public officials. Uh, I think most people thought we would have a much larger spike. And I think that's a testament to as much as we might get frustrated with a lot of people for not taking steps and for flaunting the rules. I think it's a testament to how many people have made the sacrifice, who have made the difficult choices to you know, either close their businesses, to put off having concerts and events, to canceling summer seasons. Like, I think you could say a lot for places like Penn Players and the Auditorium and um, Third Avenue Playhouse and those places that would have otherwise had indoor events with hundreds of people. And they sacrificed that. Um, So that, that I think that's probably a big driver for why Door County has remained as unscathed as we have. Right. You know, it's it's interesting as we were talking about this, I realized why I began the podcast by saying it's been a while since we talked that that sort of uh, segue snafu that I had in the beginning. It's because last time you and I talked about COVID-19 on the podcast, we were talking about how Walmart had a mass mandate and Target was going to but hadn't yet and how businesses had been dealing with uh, receiving positive tests and what they've been doing, what sort of support they have. And I believe one or two days after we talked about that on the podcast, wondering how things were going to look in the next couple of weeks, uh, there was a mask mandate in Wisconsin. And we haven't talked about that yet on the podcast. Um, so maybe we should dig into that just a little bit. So there, there's now a, uh, a public mask mandate in Wisconsin for uh, indoor use. So if you're inside, you should be wearing a mask outside of like your home. Uh, but if you're if you're inside or you're around people and social distancing is not possible in an outdoor setting, you should be wearing a mask. There are uh, exceptions for like eating. So uh, once you receive your food and you're actually eating, your mask can be off. But then when you're done eating, the mask should be back on, that kind of stuff. Um, you can kind of dig into the the mandate itself to learn more about those kind of exceptions but the the gist of it is now when you're inside uh in a public area you should be wearing a mask in wisconsin yeah and i think it's worth repeating i I forget that there's a lot of people who look at this on a pretty surface level or a nightly news level uh, of learning about the virus and you know not to knock the nightly news but i'll knock it like it that is not a very deep understanding of things. And it's usually sound bite driven and ratings driven. Um, you know, where we are now versus where we were months ago, it, we're in a much different place. Just like, you know, we're still learning things about the flu and that's been around forever. Um, we are still learning a lot about this disease. And one of the things I was reading a summary of a bunch of studies last night, um, pointing more and more toward these indoor spaces and ventilation being a key. And I know people probably get tired of the changes in what the recommendations and what the the science as it evolves and what it tells us because people go, well, they said no mask and now they're saying mask, so it must be a conspiracy. Or they said this was bad, but now they're saying that's okay. Or they said surfaces and now surfaces aren't as big a deal. See, nobody, this is all a lie or made up. And that's not what that indicates. I mean, at at one point in the AIDS crisis, they thought it was a a gay person only disease. (laughs) And things evolve and um that that might have been born of prejudice obviously too but um our understanding of everything evolves constantly um there are things that we've spent decades and billions of dollars investigating and we still don't know the answers but so like the fact that things change isn't a reason to say like people are coming at it from a bad place it's just that we learned something um in this case 
it seems more and more that when they cha- trace the disease to the biggest outbreaks, it's usually indoor spaces. It's usually ventilation problems. And it's usually large crowds in those indoor spaces. So, right. um, surfaces, obviously it's important. Like I've, I was talking to my wife last night, like I'm probably had like the, the healthiest six months stretch of my life just because I'm probably just washing my hands and cleaning everything so much more. Right. Like it's probably saved me from a lot of other different things that usually give me sinus infections and things like that. And probably because I'm not out seeing all these different people and being exposed to all these different germs that normally might knock me out for a while. Um, so that, that's, probably a, a little side benefit for me personally and maybe yeah. other people. But so I'm not trying to say like, don't wash surfaces, don't do that. But like most of the science is like, it's not as important as ventilation. So that is something that I'm hopeful. I don't know this, but like I'm hopeful that restaurants and uh, offices and um, even municipal government and schools are thinking a lot more about ventilation and what they're going to do in terms of, recommending that restaurants maybe keep more windows open and things like that versus the surfaces. Um, right. You know, I know that most places are going, Hey, look, we're taking measures. And most of that emphasis is placed on like wiping down the tables and washing hands and wearing gloves. Um, but really it's probably, it seems more and more like it's face masks and ventilation that are really, really important. Right. Well, and I, I'd say that the importance on surfaces, and crowds and crowds. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the importance, uh, in, in like keeping surfaces clean probably varies from place to place. Uh, so I'd say like in a bar or a restaurant, it's probably more important to keep surfaces clean than it would be like, say, in an office building because so much of what you're doing in a bar and a restaurant is like using your mouth and putting your hands in your mouth and then putting your hands on the table and vice versa. So it's probably more important in a situation like that than it is maybe at like a grocery store where you're picking things up off of a shelf, right? So there's there's things to be to be weighed in that respect too. But then when we've talked about like the changing science, I've always said on the podcast and I've always been a proponent that science is about change and is about evolution and we learn new things all the time that's what separates science from like a belief you can have a belief despite being uh despite learning evidence to the contrary about your belief uh, but you can hold on to it whereas science has to change when evidence to the contrary comes up in science uh, you can't just hold on to the way that it was before because you now know that it's not the case and i I think my big pet peeve when talking about covid19 and masks and everything is when people say like well it's changing all the time first they said no mask now they said mask it's like that happened in march like they were on the fence about masks in march and then by mid-april most people were saying yeah masks are probably a good idea idea and like it is now august so to to still be back in march and april and being like yeah well they didn't know back then so i'm not going to change my behavior now you know months after the fact it's like well look at how the conversation has been over the last you know six weeks and then make your your choice up that way Uh, especially when we're dealing with something that's literally unfolding in real time you kind of have to stay up to date and just because things changed once four months ago doesn't mean that you should just throw your hands up and be like, well, they don't know what's going on. Uh, I would argue that at this point, you don't know what's going on and you should probably look at uh, the conversation with fresh eyes. Well, and one thing with the masks is that they initially thought, well, this would only protect you from a sick person. But over time, they realize, okay, this actually does protect both sides of that conversation, both the person who is sick, it stops them from spreading it, but it also helps the person 
inhale fewer droplets and aerosols potentially um, by wearing a mask. So it does protect both sides of that conversation. That's not something that they thought early on or was definitive early on. And now, and the other thing is when they were saying no mask, it's because at first they thought it was only effective if you were sick from spreading it. And the assumption was we're going to be able to identify everyone who's sick because we don't have a lot of cases. When I first talked to public health on February 27th, that was the assumption. The U.S. only had a, a few. Wisconsin had just had their first total case. Um, once you get to a community spread situation and once you get to the, the massive number of cases that we have in the United States, the advice changed and Dr. Jim Heiss and Sue Powers from public health you know, that once that advice became, you have to assume that everyone has it because it is so wide, widespread. Well, then everyone wears the mask because if, if you think you might have it and we all think we don't, I walk around and go, well, you don't got to worry about me, but then I got to remember, like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, there are some people who are so locked down. There are so many of my friends who are so locked down still because, they're being particularly safe. My job requires me to go out a little bit more, so I interact more, but I still, I, I think most of my friends would consider my me to be like one of the more stringent people, but I'm actually out more than I would probably like to be. And so then I have to remember, like I, I'm definitely one of those people who should be cautious and wearing a mask because I might potentially have it. Right. So, and everyone has to operate that. So that's where a little bit of where some of that mask advice changed over time as well. Well, and also when you go back to the very beginning of this, the question was, should I wear a mask? And the CDC and and who were like, no, you shouldn't wear a mask. You should stay home. And then in America, we made it abundantly clear that we weren't going to do that. So then they were like, okay, if you're you're not going to stay home, then yeah, you should probably wear a mask. And that's the other part of it too, because like, they're not going to, like the best recommendation is stay home. And when that's not possible, it's like, okay, if you're not going to stay home and if like we as a nation are not going to make it easy for you to stay home uh, and to try to tamp this down, then yeah, probably masks are a good idea despite, you know, some some thinking early on that like masks might do more harm than good because people don't have good mask hygiene. Uh, but again, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, your mask hygiene is not great. But if you're not going to stay at home and you're go- like you're insisting on going out and opening things back up, then wearing a mask is better than not wearing a mask. Right. Well, and also, as we learned that the surfaces weren't as vital, the mask hygiene debate became less relevant. You know, if, if you're, if surfaces aren't as big of a spreader and big of a concern in part, because we're cleaning the hell out of them, um, then you touching a surface and touching your mask isn't as big of a deal as like early on. Like you have to remember, like we thought I, I was, I was polishing the doorknobs of my house. You know, <laughs> people were leaving their mail outside for a week at a time because people didn't know, but we've right. learned. Um, anyway, last last bit of, of COVID related talk before we move on. Uh, now, this is coming out on Friday, uh, so it'll be almost a week since the mask mandate went into effect in Wisconsin. Uh, anything that you've noticed out and about in Door County? Have you noticed anything changing? Have you noticed less people, more people? What have your observances been since the mask mandate went into effect? I, I, mask wearing is definitely up in my experience. Um, I, I do talk to different restaurant owners to say, yep, still every day we get, we get jerks every single day. Um, and that is disappointing because it's not that hard to be nice to people. Yeah. <laughs> has, has the so conversation changed about um, that at all? Like are people, are business owners feeling like they have the support that they need at this point or is it still well, just... they, they, 
they've said like it's it's nicer because well just when the mandate went in like more people just started wearing them if you walk through bailey's harbor um there's a lot of people out and about but the the mask wearing is much higher and sister bay it's i know people think of sister bay like a like it's a massive party where nobody obeys the rules but there is a lot more mask wearing throughout sister bay as well um and in bailey's harbor I think in part because of the leadership of some core businesses that have taken this very seriously from the start, that I think a lot of the clientele has followed that lead, whether it be Door County Brewing Company, Heirloom, Cornerstone, um, Bearded Heart has probably one of the best processes and, and service setups in the, in the county that I've seen in terms of masking and, and distancing. Yeah. Um, ch- chives, the Carrie Ballman down at the gas station, all these places that were very on top of this very early harbor fish market as well that just said we're we're going to do outside we're going to limit the indoor dining we're going to have our staff wear masks and we are going to enforce this on our customers like they all did that and like you know I, it looks like they're all doing pretty well um so they're still dealing with those jerks but uh, you know it just seems like by by virtue of the full community kind of being on the same page it's it's spread to the clientele much better in in Baylor's Harbor than I think elsewhere. Right. I'm I'm glad that you have that perspective because like I I tend to find myself only going to places that I know are are taking it more seriously. So like, and it was very weird for me because as somebody who does not necessarily like to shop at Walmart, I'm kind of a Target guy myself. Uh, I stopped going to Target in lieu of Walmart for a couple of weeks just because I knew that people were going to be wearing masks in Walmart and not in Target. It was uh, it was a very bizarre period of my life. Uh, but I've I've come out on the other side of it now that we have a mask mandate, and I feel like I can. Go go back to target but yeah it's been it's been weird um early on like start like trying to pick and choose like who do i know is really taking precautions and what places do i want to avoid right now And, and i'm hoping that we're in the place now where it's like okay now that there's a mandate in place not only do business owners feel uh like they have the support that they need to enforce stricter rules but also that we can maybe kind of open up our circle a little bit and start to go back to the businesses that we love knowing that uh, both them and their clientele are going to be safer. So with that, uh, why don't we move on to some non-COVID-19 related stuff. Uh, First up, an update on the Egg Harbor condo situation. So last we talked about this, uh, I believe that they were going for uh, some sort of changing in the in the rules, and that was denied. So they had to kind of go back to the drawing board, and they brought back a, a smaller proposal. What has happened from the smaller proposal till now? Uh, well, so they had they came for, forward with a, a scaled down version. They initially started. Uh, I guess I should backtrack here and set the stage for what we're talking about. Um, Miller's gas station in the center of Egg Harbor been for sale for several years. They have a buyer who would, uh, Michael Schwanis, who has proposed building a originally what was going to be a 27 unit condominium complex and condominium and retail complex, which would the plan was to tear down the old Bernstein garage, which is the stone building next to the gas station. They scaled that down after the plan commission and citizens said, hey, we want to keep that old gas station. That's been a centerpiece of the town forever, the old, the stone one, um, at least the building. And then that, your proposal is just too big, too encroaching on the, the village. So they came back with a plan that keeps the old building and then ties some of that stonework and architecture 
into a new building to the south of it that would replace the gas station that's there. And it would be scaled down to 14 condominium units. Still large footprint, 12,000 square feet, um, which is allowed. But where it exceeds is a little bit in the height. It goes to th 35 feet tall, but then there's like a little bump out on the top for an elevator for a rooftop access um, for handicapped access. So that would exceed the 35 feet. So they're looking for a variance on that for the elevator. Otherwise, the building fits into the village's zoning um, and is roughly the same height as surrounding buildings like Shipwrecked, Motor Rosas, the Crest Pavilion, Greens and Grands. So they're all right around 35 feet tall. So it's right. about the same height. Um, and then it's, but in total square footage, it's about 35,000 square feet, which is about double what the zoning allows in that lot. So they're looking to exceed that. And that comes once you add the, the three stories. Um, it actually reduces the amount of impervious surface on the, in the property because they've used pervious permeable pavers and um, you know, what's existing there now is a gas station, which is all paved and basically has no, no grass surfaces. Um, so there's, there's some pros and cons here. There weren't actually a lot of people who spoke at the meeting, which was held in a combination of in person at the Crest Pavilion and via zoom. There were only four people who commented. Um, and so that's kind of the, the groundwork of where it's at. This proposal basically, or this meeting was looking for a final approval, but the, the planning commission basically said, we're not going to make the final call now. We're going to come back in a couple of weeks at our regular plan commission and we'll debate what conditions we would want to put on this if we approve it. Right. Because that's that's kind of the big thing here is like this is uh, it, it fits in line with some of the plan commission's ideas for downtown. But at the same time, it is kind of a big change. And if if this was approved, maybe that's OK for one project. But like you, you have to think about the precedence that it sets for other projects down the line. And that's something that we talked about when it came down to the, the Fred and Fuzzies deal uh, last week was that uh, if you make the change now, you're you're setting a precedent. And, and when is it important to uphold precedences that you've set before? And when is it important to, to change and set new ones? So I think that that's kind of the big discussion here. Not necessarily whether you think like it should be a condo or not, but, but rather like if this goes through, uh, what does this mean for Egg Harbor down the line, right? Yeah, you have to be thinking about what other properties might be exposed to this. And it, it, this is a hard thing for a plan commission to do, but I would say like any plan commission in any township should be looking at what would be possible in our town in the most outlandish scenario. So it, even with our existing zoning. So let's say, what if somebody bought three neighboring lots and combined them? Then what would might be built there? Because we tend to think in terms of what exists now and what someone might do with individual properties. But then we get all of our communities get kind of thrown for a loop when somebody combines multiple parcels. Um, and that's happened a couple of times in the past in Sister Bay and elsewhere. The other thing in Egg Harbor is there's not a lot of vacant land or potential places that you might do something massive on like the main centerpiece of the town, but they are doing massive improvements to Church Street, which is that street that runs behind by the Peg Egan and Newport Resort. Right, And there is a lot of empty lots there. So whatever you do with this property, you have to think about it, I believe, in terms of what precedent you might be setting 
for anything proposed back there or say behind Main Street Market, um, those kind of things. And the other thing that Joe Smith, the plan commission chair said is we really got to think through, and this is why they waited, they're, they're delaying a couple of weeks to, to write up these conditions because they've asked their attorney and staff to write some more ironclad provisions for that conditional use permit so they don't have the issues that they had with one barrel where i guess i'm i'm, I'm not as well versed in the history because it was before i had come back here but one barrel's conditional use permit wasn't as strict on the parking requirement and that's why they've had some of the um parking disagreements and and controversy in egg harbor over that particular building right um you know it's interesting that you bring up the church street thing because when you think about like that area in terms of its development potential, uh, you could really see Egg Harbor basically doubling in terms of its like commercial real estate back there, right? Uh, where it's like, imagine if all of Church Street gets taken up by condos and housing units. It doesn't really change that much, even if they redo the road and make it pretty. It doesn't change that much in terms of like the average consumer's use back there. Uh, but if they're able to put in a bunch of really great new businesses, maybe a restaurant or two, that could actually totally transform the feel of Egg Harbor. Uh, and it, it, which is interesting to think about considering how much we've talked over the last year about how the feel of Egg Harbor has transformed even just in the last three years already. Um, so it's interesting when you think about it that way in terms of like the potential for a place like that. And I don't know what the zoning is on church street right now. Uh, but it's interesting when you think about the potential of that area in terms of just expanding what egg Harbor is for people who go to it. Right. Um, I think, you know, some of this debate at the meeting also centered around Angela Lencia, a board member, um, has some good points about like, and this is something that I think every town should do is if, if they're going to give something away, you've got to look at like being as strict as possible. So if, and when I say give something away, I mean, in terms of zoning concessions. So she had said like, Hey, they, these developers are asking for a lot. So we should be demanding a lot of them. So that means like in exchange for exceeding the size, doubling the size that our zoning code allows, we don't have to allow you to do that. We don't owe something to the business owner to be able to sell it. Right. Like, the zoning is this. It was developed by the whole town. It's part of like a long-term comprehensive plan. We agreed that this is what we want. So if we're going to let you exceed it, like make sure we have strong demands in terms of stormwater runoff, um, neighbor concessions. What do the neighbors feel they need um, if you're going to allow this large building? Um, buffering, all sorts of different things. And I, th I thought that was pretty fair. One thing I thought that wasn't quite fair is some people had said, like, this is one of the large, this is the largest proposal we've ever considered in Egg Harbor. And that's just not true. Um, just going down the road, you know, Ashbrook Suites was a very large building. Newport Resort, um, Shipwrecked was a pretty big rebuilding. Uh, the Landing Resort, the um, Liberty Square, because a lot of people will point to one barrel which is actually just like the same size as the building that was always there, maybe a small expansion, but they just added the outdoor dining. And then Hatch, which essentially is the same size as Lena's bar that was there for 75 years. So that wasn't like a massive new building. But, and then Liberty Square, which was now, is now the fireside, that was greatly expanded in the 90s. All of those projects I just mentioned are post-1985. And most of them are in the 1990s. Main Street Shops is a 
was originally a five building complex proposed. And that's why Main Street Market is named Main Street Market. It was actually going to wrap around that whole Church Street area. Church Street was built as part of Main Street shops. And there were going to be three more buildings that wrapped the same size as the other two that wrapped all the way around the backside of Egg Harbor. And I can't imagine whoever thought there was going to be that much demand for retail, but that was the plan. Um, So it's, it's nowhere near the largest development. And then you, that doesn't even talk about the condo developments or think back to the original Egg Harbor. I mean, what's now Door County Nature Works was Burns Brother Lumberyard. There were, it was a combination of farm and lumberyard. There were multiple barns back there, plus the main building, which was 35 feet tall. And then the Alpine Resort, the first, the, at one time built as the largest resort in Door County, still one of the larger resorts in Door County, tall building on the water, 40 cabins, massive golf course. So there are several other different buildings in Egg Harbor that are of that size. So it's, that's not quite true to say that this is the largest project they've considered. It's not even the largest project in that core area, but it is, and I, I'm not saying all that to defend the proposal, but it's just like trying to put it in context of, we tend to see things in a silo and not, right. not recognize that like, oh, right, right across the street, that's a building that looks actually the same height. And even when you look at like, what is what fits into Egg Harbor, some people would say that, I mean, it, it is replacing basically a giant BP billboard yeah. in the middle of town. So it's, uh, it, you, it'd be hard to argue that it's not more with the style of Egg Harbor versus right. a corporate gas station. Yeah, I, I have a couple so. more like new building sidebar questions that I want to ask. But before I do, what is next for this proposal? Uh, there is a meeting, I believe, if I have it right in my head, I think it's August 18th. Plan Commission meets again. Then you can attend that via Zoom. Um, and there will be, there's a, a, it's not a hearing. This one will, they, they detail the conditions. But I think there, as in any meeting, there would be a public comment session at the beginning. Okay. Uh, here's my, here's my sidebar question. Uh, do you know what is going into the building that's kind of just down the street from Hatch? The like cube looking building that had the wacky paint on it beforehand? Oh yeah. That is a former Shell gas station. That's what I, you know, we all remember buildings based on what they were like when we first knew them. (laughs) So it's funny, like people, if you go through Door County with old timers, they'll reference things as like nine buildings ago what that business was i do the same thing with that shell station it's been a t-shirt shop it's been i think like a gallery at one point uh that's owned by jj um from jj's laporta and he is remodeling that into a i believe a popcorn and i want to say popcorn and like gelato maybe not positive on that but i think that's what it's going to be um kind of a passion project of JJ's He's going to turn it so into something that looks a lot more like the gas station that it used to be or like a classic gas station. So and that's then, if JJ didn't need more stuff to do. He, he added another thing to his right. list. Uh, and then one other one, I believe it is in between Egg Harbor and Carlsville. It like literally just popped up over the last month. It looks like a big garage. It's basically like two giant garage doors. I have no idea what it is. Any ideas? I've driven by that and I don't either. Um, I should ask my dad what that is. That's uh, He's on the town board. But that, yeah, that falls in the township of Egg Harbor. Um, it kind of looks like, well, I shouldn't speculate. I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. I'm assuming that it's some sort of like infrastructure thing. I, I, it's probably not like a business that you could go to or something like that. That would be my guess. But again, I have 
I have no idea. I just, I know that it looks like a big garage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, a couple more things to talk about. Uh, another update on our favorite topic, water levels. Uh, they hit an all-time high for July. Now, we, we still have a record to break in October, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they're they're still high. Uh, they they haven't gone down. Uh, last time we talked, we talked about how they might not be as high as people had feared they were going to be, but that doesn't diminish the fact that they are still at record breaking highs, right? Yeah. So they it's the highest uh, monthly average for July. Um, it's one inch short of the all time record set in October of 1986. Um, the Army Corps projects that levels on Lake Michigan Huron, which are considered one body of water, that they will drop two inches by the end of August. Normally, that's what happens. You get a the water levels continue to rise into July, and then August they start to drop. September, October, November, water levels drop pretty much in a in a consistent curve. Last year they didn't. Last year they dropped a little bit in August and then just kind of plateaued in September, October, November, which led to really high water levels when the late fall storms come. And those late fall storms are the ones that bring the wind from the north. And that's why you saw a lot of damage on the bay side of the county, places like Ephraim. And that's the fear now. Like there's nothing that says that it wouldn't plateau again or necessarily that it would drop. Um, so Hopefully they drop a little bit because otherwise we have a lot of buildings and a lot of shoreline um, that's going to be at at risk. This, I mean, it's going to be at risk anyway because the water levels are so high. Um, right. Roughly six feet above like the the low from 2013, the water six feet higher on Lake Michigan. Um, places like the Anderson Dock, uh, the Hardy Gallery, there's concern about that because they, they may need to put riprap around that pier to protect that from high winds and water damage. Um, and several other places on the shoreline in that same boat. I was down in Fish Creek just a couple of weeks ago and they were putting down more cement blocks to try and protect the pier and protect pedestrians on those piers. The Fish Creek dock is still flooding into the roadway down by Malibu Moose and almost up to Malibu Moose. So water levels are high. <laughs> yeah, without without digging too much into the details, what how high are they in terms of like what have we lost over the last two years in terms of shoreline and, and stuff like that uh, of course we've seen those examples like malibu moves and stuff like that uh we saw that the water levels went up into the streets in sister bay after some recent storms but like in as like layman as you possibly can like how high are the water levels well like i said it's about six feet higher than that 2013 all-time low um and what that translate to is like it's the best place to see this is probably walking through Ephraim. Um, you can see some of it by driving, but you really notice that if you just walk along the shore in Ephraim, there are stretches where the sidewalk is closed because the water is over it. The, there's long stretches where the grass is just like spongy and mushy or actually just has pooled water. That's a combination of both like waves crashing in and water just from the lake, but also the water table so high that when it does rain, it doesn't go anywhere. Um, you'll also see like all along the shore in Ephraim. I, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but there is a, a lot of the shoreline in Ephraim that has already had new revetments and shoring up be, having been done, like either rocks, more riprap put in or rock walls built higher 
and soil replaced to try and build a stronger berm. And there is a kind of a pretty, I I don't want to say famous, but a well-known picturesque dock that used to have like a little um, hut at the end of it uh, across from one of the motels in Ephraim. That hut's gone because it was damaged in the spring and it's there's no use rebuilding it until the water levels are lower and it's safer um, because a storm will probably rip that away again. Um, so, and then if you look in the village of Fish Creek, the there's basically no sand beach there. <laughs> they just spent all that effort and money to spruce up the beach and it's starting to grow in and look nicer, but there's no sand there. Ephraim, there's basically no sand at the the public beach, only a few feet. Um, Whitefish Dunes Beach is not accessible, totally gone. Used to be where everyone was. Um, So there's the the Sister Bay Swimming Pier is underwater completely. Um, Yeah, there's all these little summer hallmarks that are just dramatically different right now. Well, and and piggybacking off of that, maybe I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but one one argument that I hear a lot, especially when we talk about the high water levels, is that, you know, water levels are high, but they used to be really low and they go up and down. So it's kind of like, who cares that they're high right now, right? They'll go back down eventually. What is, what's the actual like cost to this right now? Like what are, what are we actually seeing happening in terms of, uh, damage and, and stuff that's really affecting people right now? And if this goes up, say another five inches, like what what could we be looking at? You mentioned the Anderson Dock, but like what what's the real tangible cost to all of this? Well, there's a few things that come to mind. One is tens of millions of dollars in Door County alone, if not you know over time, could greatly exceed that because all these riprap measures are extremely expensive. Um, there's a lot of peers that will that will need significant work and and repairs. There's homes and boathouses that are not accessible or that will need repairs, um, private homes and public access points. Um, that's, you know, in a, in a time of COVID when, when sales tax revenues are gone, when uh, are down and on so many different income streams for municipalities are, are going to be threatened. And for the state, like, where's the money going to come from for all, for all those repairs? That's going to be a, a difficult question in the years ahead. Um, if it goes up higher, you're, I mean, you, you start to actually, you go five or six inches higher, and you're talking about undermining main roads in Door County, <laughs> potentially like places like Ephraim, Gardner, um, in Sturgeon Bay, there's places where already there's water consistently going over the roads. And that also means water is probably going under that road, which means it could be undermining the the underpinnings and you could have some, some fallout there. Um, a lot of bu- buildings down on the shore, um, old cabins, especially would be at risk. I mean, there's, you, you go five to 10 inches higher and hopefully that does not happen. But as Dan Egan said, he goes like, this is, we're, we're actually at like a, multi-thousand year low point in terms of water levels we might just have been the last hundred years of recorded history you could also see that as and i've talked to several engineers about this that could actually be the anomaly you know the high water could be the normal we we could have just been at the trough of like a very longer low water stretch we tend to think of things in 20 to 30 year intervals because that's what we can can reference and that's what grandparents can tell us and that's what recorded history has for us but If our history, if our recorded history went back 500 years, we might see this era much differently. Um, And so what you said about people saying, well, it's high water, it's low water, whatever. 
That is true. That's the same thing when the water was really low. There were a lot of people who were just, and we were reporting on that. And a lot of people would tell me like, what's the big deal? Water goes up, water comes down. It was low when I was a kid, then it was high, then it was low. Like this is just a cycle. Um, turned out that actually what we were reporting on, we it, the big study that they did showed that there was actually a drain issue in the St. Clair River in Michigan that was could be attributed to about 18 inches of the drop in Lake Michigan water levels because they had dredged this river. Um, imagine the imagine now the river being or the the lake being 18 more inches higher. That's that's pretty scary. So right. we we are actually since that river was dredged in the 60s, you would you could say that like the water should be 18 inches higher now, and we would be at a much different place and a much different era of of Lake Michigan cycles. So. Right. Well, I think that that's probably going to do it for us this week in terms of news. Just a couple last things to mention. So this week for the paper, but also online, Deb Fitzgerald and Solomon Lindenberg did a a pretty comprehensive deep dive into the school reopening question uh, in terms of what each of the schools up here in Door County are actually going to do and what they're planning on doing. Some of them still up in the air in terms of how they actually proceed. But uh, if you want to learn more about what schools are planning on doing right now, there's a series of pretty comprehensive articles that really lay it out for you uh, that you should check out in this week's paper. Uh, I plan on talking with Deb or Solomon next week to kind of dig further into this, give some more context for it. Uh, but I, I highly recommend people reading these this weekend uh, just because of all of the the work that went into them, trying to really lay out uh, what the plans are for this this uh, conversation that we've been having over the last month that maybe one of the most important conversations that we're having about COVID-19 right now is just how schools are going to reopen if they reopen at all. Uh, I don't know if you listened to Wednesday's podcast, Miles, but uh, talked to Maddie Sherrill before she left, uh, and she talked about her decision to finish up her senior year in college uh, and just how, like, the conversation is different, whether or not you're going to school, like, K through 12, or if you're choosing to go to school, like a, a secondary education. So uh, talked a little bit about that. And there's a lot more of that information in the pulse this week. Uh, do you have anything to add about that project uh, that Deb and Solomon worked on this week? No, uh, they just, it, they did a really comprehensive look, like you said, and it's broken out by each of the five school districts. Um, there are little, there are differences for each one. And the caveat being a lot can change in a week or two before school starts. So we don't know what it will finally end up looking like. Right. Uh, and then the last thing that I wanted to mention is uh, it's time again for the annual Wisconsin Podcast Choice Awards. And uh, we wanted to put our hat in the ring. If uh, you're if you've gotten to the point or this point in the podcast already, that means that you probably enjoy what you're listening to. Uh, so if you wanted to head over to WisconsinPodcast.com and vote for us for one of the categories, it's the type of voting process where you just enter in what your favorite podcast is in multiple different categories, best comedy podcast, sports, kids and family, all sorts of stuff. You can put our name in Door County Pulse podcast for whichever category you want. Uh, podcast of the year would probably be the one that fits us <laughs> the best, uh, considering that there isn't like a news, like there's not a news 
category, which if there was a news category, I'd be like, yeah, put us in there. Uh, but there's, you know, society, business, entertainment, uh, comedy. If you think that Miles and I are super funny for some reason, go ahead and drop our name in uh, as, as few or as many times as you want for this. But uh, if you like what we do and uh, you want to support us, I think that that's a, maybe a cool bit of recognition that we could shoot for this year. So uh, if you want to vote, if you want to vote for us again, it's wisconsinpodcast.com. You can just click on the, it's a very short survey. You can click to vote for the Door County Pulse podcast and uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what comes of it. But Miles, is there anything else that we need to talk about this week before I let you go? Nothing on my end. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me as always. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.